Hello there, folks. Greetings and welcome to another episode of the Undercover Bubble Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Moore, and I'd like to thank you very much for joining me today to take a deep dive into this interesting thing that we call the conservative media bubble. Now, if you haven't been paying much attention to the news this week, you've missed a lot. And there's two huge monumental things that happened this week, and I'm going to go through both of them extensively. But more importantly, today is Tuesday, October 6th, 2020, and it is my 32nd birthday. So happy birthday to me. And a lot of people say, oh, well, you should take it easy on your birthday. You shouldn't work. But I enjoy doing this. I really do enjoy diving into the conservative bubble and seeing what craziness I can come up with and find. So I want to give a huge shout out and a big thank you to everyone who has supported me in this endeavor thus far. I want to give a huge shout out and thank you to everybody who's listened. I'm officially at over 100 listens on non-Spotify platforms. So again, thank you very much, everybody. And I hope we can continue this journey throughout the election and beyond of seeing what interesting stuff we can find in the conservative media bubble. So without further ado, let's just dive right into the huge story of the week, which was that on Friday, Trump announced that he had been diagnosed with COVID-19. Now, I'm probably going to have a different opinion on my view of this than most of my liberal colleagues, which was that, oh, he deserves it. I hope he gets really sick. I hope he dies. No. I mean, let's be honest, Trump getting COVID after denouncing it for so long and saying it was nothing and saying that you just get the sniffles and you're all better and 200,000 people dying and him not really caring. Yes, I agree. It's ironic and maybe even a little bit funny that Trump ended up getting it himself. But at the same time, I think of myself as way too nice of a person to wish that on anybody. So even though he's out of the hospital now and they, and he says he's recovering and he's back to his old tricks, I sincerely hope that he is on the path to recovery. I hope that he didn't have a severe case of it. I hope that he doesn't die from it. And I would feel the same way about everybody who got it likely at the super spreader event that was the Amy Coney Barrett nomination party. So if you were looking for me to say, ha ha, I told you so, hope you get sick and die. No, I'm not like that at all. I'm with Joe Biden and everybody else who's expressed concern that I wouldn't wish COVID on anybody, including Trump. I know a bunch of people who have had it and recovered from it. And they say the same thing, that they wouldn't wish it on anybody. It was terrible. They couldn't taste food properly for a month and a half, even after they supposedly got better. One of them had breathing problems for about three months afterwards. So, like I said, I wouldn't wish COVID on anybody. And I really do hope that he recovers. Because, number one, I'm 100% convinced that if Trump did die from COVID, which it doesn't look like he's going to, so thank God. But if he did... His supporters, who are already crazy, might come out and say, oh, well, it was an assassination and might boil over into violence and possibly a small scale civil war. So, again, I don't want that to happen at all. And number two, and more importantly to me, I want Donald Trump to be alive and well and cognizant when we vote him out in November. I want to see the look on his face when he has to hand the presidency over to Joe Biden. I want him for the first time possibly in his entire life to truly know what it's like to be a loser, to be that thing that he's hated and despised and made fun of his entire life, to be in the losers column on something that you didn't cheat your way out of. And we know now, thanks to the Atlantic article and other reporting, that he is trying to cheat his way out of this one by basically telling his Republican surrogates to tell Republican-controlled legislatures in swing states to ignore the vote count and instead bring up all Trump electors to the Electoral College. But we don't have to talk about that, because that's not the big story this week. The big story is that Trump himself and the First Lady and 
I think it's up to maybe 11 people in their inner circle now have all tested positive for COVID-19. And I'm going to go through with you how the bubble reacted to this news. Because when I saw it, my first thought was, I have to turn on Fox News immediately. And usually at this point in the night, they have reruns of that day's Tucker and Hannity. But because this was such significant news, they went back directly live to the newsroom where they were basically just reporting that he'd tested positive and they were going to take him to the hospital. And they were saying a lot of stuff about how he looked good and healthy and gave the thumbs up going to the helicopter and uh, many positive things said about all of the supporters that gathered outside of the hospital with Trump flags. And by the way, none of them were wearing masks. None of them were social distancing. Probably at least a couple of them got COVID from that. So good job. <laughs> but anyway, uh seemed like most of the coverage I saw before I went to bed that night was pretty much just matter of fact. This is what we know is happening with a slight emphasis on Trump seems like he's doing great. Everything we hear seems says that he's healthy. And they had a couple of medical experts on basically saying experts, quote unquote, basically saying that what we've heard from the president and what we've heard from his team of doctors means that he's doing phenomenally well and we're not worried about him. He might be able to go home as early as Sunday night. Meanwhile, in the real world, where news media was actually reporting on what was happening and asking the right questions, they were basically saying he tested positive basically the day before he went to the hospital and didn't tell anybody and then his oxygen levels dropped while he was at the White House, and they had to give him oxygen, which is why they sent him to the hospital as a precaution. And also, he was getting this sort of experimental drug treatment that wasn't technically approved by the FDA yet. And they also gave him dexamethasone, which, by the way, is an extraordinarily powerful steroid that is meant to reduce inflammation and has all sorts of nasty, terrible side effects and they only use it in cases of COVID-19 where they think it's going to be serious. So despite the rosy picture that the White House and Fox News seem to be painting of the situation, the reality is probably something a bit more serious. Maybe even quite serious. The bottom line is we just don't know. Because even Fox News was saying we're getting sort of mixed messages from his doctor's Versus some of the physicians who are actually on call there. And the more I watched the press briefings that his doctors gave over the next couple of days, the more it was clear that they were, no pun intended, doctoring whatever was happening inside to make it seem like things weren't really that bad. Because, again, they're giving him these drugs that they only give to serious COVID patients. And if you give dexamethasone to somebody who isn't a serious COVID patient, they can actually, it can actually make things worse because in addition to suppressing swelling, dexamethasone can also suppress your immune system, which makes it harder to fight off the virus. So for very extreme cases where they might need oxygen or a ventilator, it helps sort of prevent what they call a cytokine storm, which means that your immune system overreacts to the COVID and attacks your lung tissue and makes it swell up, which can kill you. But for mild cases, which is the vast majority of people who get COVID, it actually hurts them. It makes it worse. It makes the symptoms more severe. So what that tells me is that either he had, or that the doctors were seriously worried that he would have a really bad reaction to COVID-19, and they wanted to either get ahead of it, or... They didn't, and they just gave it to him because he was on oxygen, which they're not willing to admit happened more than once. And I seriously doubt that they'll ever share the full picture with anybody, simply because Trump doesn't want them to. He wants to project strength. He wants to project power. He wants to project that COVID-19 really isn't that bad. COVID-19, it's more like the flu. It's like you get the sniffles and you're all better. But for the first day anyway... The bubble didn't talk about any of those things. Instead, they focused on the age-old question of how and why did this happen? 
And I mean, just right off the bat, I could tell you how and why this happened. It happened because about five days before Trump started showing symptoms of infection, there was a big gathering in the White House garden where nobody was wearing masks or social distancing. In fact, there's a part of the video where one of the attendees has a mask in his hand after the press conference is over, and he goes around basically hugging and breathing on everybody with the mask in his hand. Like, I don't know how someone can be that knowingly irresponsible except to say that they've been brought in by the story of the bubble that COVID-19 isn't that bad and it mainly only affects poorer people, I guess, and they just weren't afraid of it. And now, five days later, a bunch of people from that event now have COVID. But that isn't the case with the bubble. Because when I turned on Tucker Carlson the next day to see what the Fox pundits would think of this, his monologue stated, and I quote, I'm not a conspiracy guy in the slightest, but he thought that there was a conspiracy to infect Trump with COVID and possibly kill him in a coup attempt. He actually mentioned this three times during the interview he had with Donald Trump Jr. on his show. And that's really all you need to know about Tucker Carlson's response to this, that his first immediate response to Trump coming down with COVID was that it was a conspiracy by the Democrats to infect him and possibly kill him. And to his credit, Trump Jr. did not really entertain these thoughts during the interview. He basically just said, I'm not really concerned with that right now. We're just, we just want my dad to get better. But when we move on to Hannity, during his monologue, he immediately insinuated that COVID-19 and Trump being infected with it would be politicized by the left. Even after we'd seen all these tweets and outpouring of support from members of the left, including Joe Biden, basically saying, get well soon. So in the real world, for the most part, it really hasn't been politicized, at least not in the way that he predicted. All we've really seen is just far left Twitter trolls and memes pop up, basically making fun of Trump for getting COVID after downplaying it for so long. And again, as I said earlier, I can understand that being the case. I can understand how people think that way. I personally don't, but I can see where that school of thought comes from. So anyway, even Rachel Maddow, who, as anybody who knows her knows, is not a fan of Donald Trump, wished him well. Wished him a speedy recovery. And in that same vein, Hannity voiced optimism that he would recover, even though at the time the news was sketchy at best, as I just explained. But the funniest part of his monologue was that when he talked about how good the treatment that Trump was getting was going to be, he mentioned among therapeutics that, quote, we know about now, hydroxychloroquine. That's right, even months after it's been thoroughly debunked and said it might actually make things worse, the bubble is still touting hydroxychloroquine as a potential coronavirus cure. So I just thought that was something I should mention because I've been through on this show already about how absolutely stupid the whole hydroxychloroquine thing has been, and at the same time, how readily people in the bubble, specifically the more conspiratorial parts like InfoWars and 4chan and QAnon boards, have all just latched onto this the first time Trump even mentioned it. Basically saying, the liberal media won't tell you, but hydroxychloroquine is a cure for COVID-19. They want the pandemic to last as long as possible so that they can blame it all on the president and bring him down in a deep state coup. So Hannity basically saying that hydroxychloroquine is a legitimate therapeutic among all these other drugs like remdesivir, I think it's called, is basically giving a voice, a legitimate voice, to these alt far-right conspiracy theories 
and basically saying, we believe you and we believe in you enough to back what you're saying about these things. So anyway, just real quickly, I'll go on what Laura Ingram said in her monologue. And honestly, when I listened to it, it sounded like a eulogy. It seemed like of all of the Fox hosts that I watched that night, she was the one who was most seriously concerned about Trump's well-being. Her monologue that she did mostly reflected on his political rise from like 2011 onward and just remarking on how much he's truly achieved for us conservatives. So basically saying everything you'd hear in a eulogy except you will be dearly missed, rest in peace. So it definitely struck a very different tone with me anyway than the other two hosts. And ironically, Laura Ingram's usually the one who most readily embraces these conspiracy theories on her show. Like in the first week when she was talking to the teacher about how they were going to sexualize our children through pornography and teachers unions. But my point being that I just thought it was ironic that of all the Fox hosts, the most crazy one had the most sombering and if we're being honest, realistic tone about what was going on with Donald Trump. So once she was done with her monologue and went on to the usual far right stuff that she does on her show, I decided to go ahead and take a look at the rest of the online conservative bubble to see how they were reacting to this news. And interestingly, they really didn't want to talk about it other than just mention that it happened. So Breitbart only had one article on his front page about the president's condition, for example. And it was very small. Normally, when they have a big story happening, for example, when they talked about the debate, which I'll get to later, it takes up basically the entire page full of headlines and one-sentence bashings of the left. With this, there was none of that. It was just a one-sentence headline basically saying that he was in Walter Reed Medical Center, being treated for the coronavirus, and doctors were optimistic. And that was it. Everything else on the page was just vehemently anti-left propaganda, for lack of a better term. For example, right below the headline about Trump being in the hospital was an article entitled, Woke Fail. And it was an article about how low the ratings for the NBA finals were this year because in their eyes of their relationship with black lives matter and pushing social issues. So number one, as a Laker fan, I find that insulting because I've been watching every single game of the NBA finals and of the playoffs. And basically since the bubble started, I'm a huge basketball fan. And honestly, I think the NBA has done an absolutely fantastic job, given the circumstances, with resuming their season in this time of COVID-19. I'd say they've done a better job than any other sport in that regard. There hasn't been a single infection. There hasn't been any sort of scare other than one of the players stopping in Atlanta to, quote, get some chicken wings at a local strip club. But... My point is that saying that the NBA finals have low ratings because they're woke is a complete misrepresentation of the times and the other circumstances surrounding what's going on in the sports world. Because ordinarily, and I'm going to go on a tangent here because I think it's important to me. I'm a big sports fan in addition to being a basketball fan, but ordinarily, The NBA Finals, which are going on right now, would take place in June. And while that's going on, there are really no other sports other than the baseball regular season. Which, you know, there's 162 games of that. So you're not going to see a lot of people tuning into baseball as opposed to tuning into an NBA Finals game. They're going to make the choice to see the more impactful game. So you're going to get higher ratings. But now, it's October. Not only do we have the NBA Finals, 
But we also have the MLB baseball playoffs. Not only do we have the NBA Finals, we just finished the NHL Stanley Cup Finals. Not only do we have the NBA Finals, we have regular season football and college football also starting. So rather than just having the one sport for people to watch, there's four or five going on constantly. So to say that the ratings are down because the NBA is woke is just wrong. And it's a complete misrepresentation of how much success the NBA has had, both in embracing this movement for social change and in resuming their season with little to no negative side effects due to COVID-19. So anyway, I had to comment on that because nobody speaks ill of my Lakers or the NBA and gets away with it. And we're up 2-1. We're going to win the NBA championship. I'm super happy about that. But moving on to more important things, not too long after all this stuff broke, Trump decided to do something that I must say is one of the most reckless and selfish things I've ever seen a president do. While he had COVID and was being treated for COVID, he decided to take a joyride with the Secret Service in an SUV to go greet and wave to his supporters that were waiting out on the street. And I had two thoughts when I saw this happen. First off, is this really safe for him to do? Because we'd been hearing conflicting stories about what his health was like. If you were listening to the bubble, they were saying that he was doing great and that he was going to be able to go home the next day. And if you were listening to anyone else, they were basically saying, we don't know how good he's doing because the doctors won't really tell us. They keep giving us conflicting information. All we know is that his oxygen levels dropped twice and he had to be given oxygen before he went to Walter Reed. But this didn't matter to Trump because... It's all about image for Donald Trump. He understands that the reason his supporters like him so much is because he's carefully crafted this image of himself of an uncompromising, say it like it is, strong man. And if he doesn't project that strong man image, his supporters might think that he's faking it, which of course he is. Anyone with a brain can tell within five minutes of seeing him, especially in the debate, that he's just kind of a whiny man-child who projects his own insecurities out on everybody else. But anyway, my second thought immediately after that was the Secret Service agents who were forced to take that ride with him in the car are definitely getting COVID. I mean, they were in the car with him for around 10-15 minutes. I assume they were all wearing masks. I didn't see but in any case, they're in a very much enclosed area because this is the presidential Escalade we're talking about. I'm sure it's got multiple inch thick armor and bulletproof windows and all that. So they are shut in there in a small enclosed space with a man who definitely has COVID-19 in the name of political theater. They're basically risking their lives so that Trump can have a photo op, so that Trump can appeal to his base. It's sick. It's absolutely sickening to me that someone would even consider putting someone else's life in danger like that for something so trivial. But as we well know, he is not really aware of the theory and the idea of self-sacrifice or caring about other people's lives he just he's psychopathic it doesn't occur to him that somebody could care more for someone else than they did for themselves the idea seems completely foreign to him as we've seen in all those reports where he talks about military people as being losers and suckers because they got captured or because they were killed and when he was at the grave site of i believe it was general mattis's son he said something like, I don't get it. What was in it for him? Just absolutely despicable. I don't want to talk about it anymore. What I will talk about, though, is the video that he posted up before he pulled this stunt. He put it up on his Twitter account, and basically he said, 
I've learned so much about COVID and, quote, this is real school, not let's read the book school. So what this tells me is his mindset is of the persuasion that read the book school. So in other words, learning about something before you actually take it on is a bad thing. Let's read the book school is for nerds. Let's read the book school is for people who don't go with their gut. Let's read the book school is for people who are weak, who are losers, who don't deserve to be able to be president and make decisions because they don't know what gut decisions are like. And when he said this, I was reminded both of the discussions I've already had on this show about how going with your gut is a very bubble thing to do. But it reminded me of a quote by Carl Sagan that he wrote in, I believe it was 1996. So way before any of this conservative media bubble stuff even existed. I mean, at the time you had conservative talk shows and Fox News existed and you had, you know, somewhat of a culture of right wing conservative media, but it wasn't really the enclosed space that it is today. It wasn't this all encompassing takes over your life sort of bubble. But anyway, Carl Sagan being a super smart guy that he was saw this kind of thing coming and commented on it in 1996, well before any of this happened. So I'm going to go ahead and read an excerpt from that quote that I think is very relevant today. I have a foreboding of an America in my children's or grandchildren's time when the United States is a service and information economy, when awesome technological powers are in the hands of a very few and no one representing the public interest can even grasp the issues, when the people have lost the ability to set their own agendas or knowledgeably question those in authority, when, unable to distinguish between what feels good and what's true, we slide, almost without noticing, back into superstition and darkness. The dumbing down of America is most evident in the lowest common denominator programming and credulous presentations on pseudoscience and superstition, but especially a kind of celebration of ignorance. And so that last sentence to me is the most important part of this entire quote, a celebration of ignorance. This is exactly what I've been talking about is one of the main traits of the bubble throughout this podcast. Celebration of ignorance truthiness. Don't believe what you see in the media. Instead, believe what you feel in your heart. Even if there's evidence against it, it doesn't matter because you know that it's true. You know that the facts are wrong. You know that science is not to be believed. Instead, it's to be questioned because what you see are the facts and what you feel are the facts are completely different. And what are you going to believe? Are you going to believe what these high-salaried, stupid government scientists are telling you? Or are you going to believe what you know? Are you going to believe what you feel? And I will admit, that sort of thinking has a very strong draw to people who don't want to think about things. To people who want to say, I want to be told what to believe. I don't want to have to figure it out for myself. Same reason that people get Apple phones. It just works. When you're part of the conservative bubble, it doesn't matter whether or not you have proof of what you believe. It is what you believe. And nothing anybody says or shows you can change that. And nowhere was this more on display than yesterday when Trump returned to the White House, removed his mask after he got out on the balcony, clearly laboring to breathe, barely able to stand, but still trying to puff his chest out and project this image of strength, and said in another Twitter post that COVID was not a big deal and that we shouldn't be afraid of it. 
Similarly, when I went to the bubble for their reaction, Fox, all they talked about was him touting how good he felt. They didn't mention or show the fact that he removed his mask after he got back. And the article that I read mentioned that the White House still won't release the names of infected people or contact trace any of them. So again, they're living in their own little world where COVID isn't bad. We can beat it just with the sniffles and millions of dollars worth of drugs and medical care that the president can get, but obviously no one else can, but they don't care about that. All they care about is, see, the president got over it. That means you can too. It's not that bad. And what about the 200,000 people that died? Eh, collateral damage. If you can't tell, I'm a little bit pissed off about this whole situation. And it wasn't just Fox that had this approach. One America, all they put was that there was optimism that Trump will recover and no other details. So clearly there's other stuff that they did know about that they just didn't want to report to the bubble. Because everything's rosy and golden and awesome and COVID's not a big deal. Similarly on Breitbart, there was a big emphasis, especially in that sort of multiple headline for one story rundown that I was talking about earlier, a huge emphasis on don't let COVID dominate or scare you. My response is we should be scared of this. It's killed 210,000 people. National Review. All they had on his return and what he said was a small little story in the corner. Instead, they chose to focus in big letters in the center of the page about democratic tyranny with packing the courts. So the bubble didn't so much report on Trump going back as just sort of downplay the entire situation almost like it didn't even happen. And then I got to InfoWars. The first thing I noticed about InfoWars when I went on their site was that they redesigned their page completely. They redesigned the entire site. It's much cleaner. It used to be sort of dark and flashy with lots of pictures and stuff like that. Now it looks more like a newspaper. It's white with just plain black text and very newsy looking. So my first thought when I saw this was maybe they think they're going mainstream. But then I clicked on the articles on the main page, and my mind was quickly changed. I clicked on the first article that I saw. It was in the center in big letters, and it said, Deep State Launches Third Coup Attempt Against Trump. And the interesting thing is, they used to actually have small articles, usually like around 100 words max, actually explaining what was going on. But instead of doing that, now it's just, the article, quote-unquote, is just a link to a video, sometimes either of a live link to the Alex Jones show, which in this case it was, or a link to a clip from the Alex Jones show of him explaining what the article was about. But when I clicked on this article in particular, it took me directly to the Alex Jones show, which I watched for a little bit, and... I honestly can't even remember what he was talking about, but it wasn't a deep state conspiracy by the Democrats. But the one quote that I took away from it was, it's so easy to beat the globalists. We just have to find our testicles. And then he went on to say that George Soros was trying to overthrow European countries clandestinely through the media. You know, regular old Alex Jones conspiratorial ranting stuff. Nothing we haven't seen before. But then he actually got into Trump a little bit, saying, and I quote, Trump is in serious danger. Most dictators in history, they get killed by their doctor. George Washington got killed by his doctor. What's that tell you about Trump? Well, I don't know what that tells me about Trump, but I can tell you what it tells me about you, Alex Jones. Apparently, you think that not only is Trump a dictator, but so was George Washington. <laughs> Just the mental lapses that people in the bubble have when they ignore their own logic. It's, it's just funny. I love just picking apart things like that. And as if that weren't enough, Alex Jones went on to say that Walter Reed 
is killing Trump with experimental treatments and that evidence was mounting that this was a deep state coup by the Democrats. First off, I would love to see that evidence if it exists, which of course it doesn't. And secondly, according to Alex Jones, apparently that drug cocktail, the experimental one that hasn't been approved by the FDA, that cocktail is going to kill Donald Trump. Then he went to commercial break and a voiceover came on during the commercial break that for some reason kept repeating itself softly like, and now, and now, that, that sort of about a second after echo, basically saying that the trip to the White House was the perfect cover for an assassination. And if Trump dies, the establishment could destroy what is left of our birthright. And when I heard this, it was a real eye-opener for me, although I guess it really shouldn't have been, given how much experience I have in the bubble now. They straight up said that if Trump dies, there's no more birthright for us. Now, let's think about who is us in this scenario. For me, there's really only one answer to that, and that's white people. Because when you hear right-wing media talk about birthright, talk about anything related to where you come from, it's typically talking about white people. It's talking about white supremacy. So I just wanted to point that out, that InfoWars not only seems like it's trying to go more mainstream, but it's trying to sort of embed itself into these white supremacist conspiracy theories. And that's really scary because all of these things are being pushed out into the mainstream by the conservative bubble and by Trump himself. And if they're ever granted any sort of legitimacy, which they already have been a little bit, that could be absolutely disastrous for the flow of information in this country. And it really scares me that that's happening. So real quickly, to just finish up on this subject and move on to the debate, all sorts of articles were on InfoWars regarding this subject, basically saying that the satanic left wants Trump to die and that there was going to be a deep state coup. And so speaking of satanic deep state conspiracy theories, when I saw this, I wondered how QAnon was reacting to all of this. So I actually found a way to go through the posts that Q himself has made and he hasn't said anything about it since it happened. His last post was at the time that I made the note anyway, around I think October 1st and he was talking about Red October, vague posts about Red October when apparently the storm is coming and the whole satanic pedophiliac cabal is going to be arrested and I actually did, for the first time since I started this whole bubble thing, go onto some of these right-wing QAnon-inspired forum boards and see what they were talking about. And first off, I would not recommend you do that at all because there's so much just anti-Semitism, pro-white, pro-Nazi, just unbelievably insensitive, terrible, racist posts and memes, and all sorts of things that I don't even want to go back there again. I wouldn't recommend it. But anyway, when they weren't posting these terrible memes, they were talking about Trump's diagnosis saying that either it was a false positive or it didn't matter. Because QAnon believers already know, as I said, truthiness, they know that hydroxychloroquine is a cure for COVID because Trump said it was. So, one of the Q followers whose username was Pepe Lives Matter tweeted, POTUS has no need to go into quarantine since we already have the cure. So then that begs the question, why would Trump go into quarantine when he doesn't need to? The answer is that the storm is coming. Trump is going into isolation for his own protection while his allies arrest the deep state satanic pedophile democratic cabal. 
that's running everything behind the scenes and the world will be free of satanic pedophilia rule. So I don't think I need to go into any more detail about that. I think you can figure out how absolutely insane that is. So with that, I'm just going to go ahead and move along to discuss the debate. And before the whole uh, Trump COVID thing happened, I was going to make the show basically about the debate because there was so much to unpack. But in the days that have followed since the debate aired and we had all the reactions, I've really come to the conclusion that not much happened and not much changed. But what did happen was quite interesting, especially if you were watching the conservative media bubble before and after. So as I said in the last show, the day before the debate, Hannity talked at length about the debate and what he thought was going to happen. He was talking about Bunker Joe hiding for the debate and being old and senile, attacking Joe's platform as the most extreme in American history. And the funniest part was when he was talking about Joe Biden and his senility, he actually said on air that he was going to label what he was about to say as opinion. So for the first time in the two and a half months or so that I've been watching the bubble, they actually sort of became self-aware. But then he actually relayed what his opinion was, and it was pretty much everything you'd expect from Sean Hannity. His campaign team sees that he's weak, frail, struggling cognitively, and want to hide him away from the rest of America. He accused him of having, quote, lots of hot cocoa breaks and naps during debate prep, and that the Democrats are terrified about these debates. And the only way that Joe will show up at all was that he'll be regurgitating his memorized attack lines. And it occurred to me that the reason he was saying these things is that Hannity was trying to preempt Joe Biden inevitably winning the debate. Because if I'm being honest here, I think a lot of people in the bubble were scared of how Trump was going to be in the debate, and as it turns out, rightfully so. But Hannity was trying to preempt Joe Biden winning the debate by saying that everything was going to be pre-prepared. And my response to this, as it always is in these situations where they favor being off the cuff, is that's a bad thing. It's negative to be prepared for something. It's negative to have debate prep. And also, what's wrong with hot cocoa and naps? Both of those things are snuggly and nice, and everybody does them. <laughs> so anyway, moving on to the day of the debate, Tucker beforehand had the time slot, and he talked all about the ear inspection conspiracy that made the rounds on QAnon boards and gave it validity, basically saying that we haven't had any concrete information that Joe Biden has an earpiece but we haven't had any concrete information that he doesn't have an earpiece. Aliens. Remember that old meme of the, we don't know aliens exist here, but we don't know aliens don't exist here. Therefore, the only logical explanation we can find is aliens. <laughs> so it's basically just taking that meme and putting it into the bubbles narrative of, we don't know Joe Biden has an earpiece, but we don't know Joe Biden doesn't have an earpiece. So... Therefore, the only logical explanation of him showing up and being cognizant and presidential at the debate is that he must have an earpiece. And when Biden did show up, Tucker said many people predicted Biden didn't show. Surprised that he did, given questions about his virility, about his age, about his possible senility. And the most interesting thing about the pre-debate coverage, though, was that a lot of it consisted of Tucker having a bunch of right-wing guests on and asking them, what would you say to this subject if you were Trump in this debate? And I think because he did this so much, he knew that Trump was watching Fox News at the moment that they were about to do the debate. So I sort of made a mental note of that and tried to see if anything they suggested came up in the debate from Trump. And honestly, I can't remember any specific instance where that happened, but I will talk real quickly about the debate itself. 
So I have all sorts of just super detailed notes about everything they went through. And honestly, it really didn't matter because as far as I'm concerned, there were only two real things that happened in this debate that mattered. Number one, Trump basically just spent the entire debate being a bully. Biden was all presidential and poised and elaborate and outlined things he was going to do and things that Trump had done and kept his composure throughout with the occasional, will you shut up, man? But as far as Trump was concerned, it was all just baseless personal attacks, constantly talking over and interrupting both the moderator and Joe Biden. At times, it actually seemed like he was debating the moderator more than he was debating Joe. And a couple of times, the moderator literally had to admonish him like a five-year-old, basically saying, the answer is no, you cannot talk right now, you need to let Joe Biden finish. Now get back in your seat and have a juice box. So this was really a bad look for Trump, because this was his chance to upstage Biden, because he'd been just playing up over and over how old and senile and crickety and unfit for the job he was and me big strong man but trump just ended up coming off like a 12 year old schoolyard bully you know trying to push around the little guy and biden to his credit kept his composure didn't let it rattle him other than when he attacked biden's dead son for being in the military and honestly that was one of the more poignant and important moments in the entire debate was when Biden, basically on the verge of tears, defended his son for being in the military and saying he wasn't a loser, he wasn't a sucker. But basically, Trump looked bad, Biden looked a lot better. That was number one. And as far as number two, and I think the more important issue here, I'm going to let CNN's Van Jones tell it in a way that I never could. Only three things happened for me tonight. Number one, Donald Trump refused to condemn white supremacy. Number two, the president of the United States refused to condemn white supremacy. Number three, the commander in chief refused to condemn white supremacy on the global stage in front of my children, in front of everybody's families, and he was given the opportunity multiple times to condemn white supremacy. And he gave a wink and a nod to a racist, Nazi, murderous organization that is now celebrating online. So basically, what happened was Donald Trump was asked a question about the fact that he's supported by white supremacist groups and the fact that he's sort of touted their support in the past with the very fine people on both sides comment and whatnot. So Chris Wallace straight up asked him, are you willing to condemn white supremacy? And after a bunch of trying to dodge the question, he basically said, stand back and stand by. Now, the immediate aftermath, and I'll be talking about this, was that Everybody on the right, including Trump Jr. himself, said, oh, well, you know what he meant by that. You know that he really meant to condemn them. And then a couple of days later, he actually straight up did say that. But the point is that in this time when he was put on the spot to say something, all he had to say was, I condemn white supremacy. But he didn't. Instead, he told Proud Boys to stand back and stand by. And Proud Boys basically took this as a signal that they needed to be ready for anything, that they needed to be ready for war. And they basically took that saying, stuck it on their logo as sort of a new slogan, and basically ran with it, saying, we're ready to do whatever you want us to do, Mr. President. So what this tells me is that this could go a lot deeper than just Trump failing to denounce white supremacy, which is in and of itself absolutely despicable. But he could be preparing for some sort of armed resistance 
to his losing the election. This could be him saying to these white supremacist groups who support him completely, stand back and stand by for when the you-know-what hits the fan, you'll be ready with your guns to go out and shoot people who don't support me. It could almost be seen as giving a green light to violence and insurrection after the election if he doesn't win. And that, honestly, scares me more than the whole white supremacy thing, which scares me plenty. But if you were watching the coverage in the bubble like I was, they did not talk about that at all. It was clear that they wanted to completely avoid talking about it because of how bad it made him look. But according to Fox, all the bullying and name-calling and interrupting and schoolyard tactics made him win the debate. Britt Hume said that Trump won because he was like a bucking bronco with strength and forceful personality. But to his credit, he did think that Biden held up well, much better than anyone anticipated. And believe it or not, the most accurate representation of the evening on conservative media was from Karl Rove. He said they both showed up for a wrestling brawl and that there was no real substance because they were arguing so much, which I think there was some substance in the debate, but that's not what it really became about. It was more of a referendum on Trump's character and of his not condemning white supremacy. But as I said, they didn't talk about that at all in the bubble because they wanted to avoid it. So Rove actually accused Biden of personal attacks and insults which, by the way, he didn't use, when Trump spent the entire debate doing nothing but name-calling and bullying Biden and basically insulting his sons and insulting Biden himself and just spouting all sorts of lies and conspiracy theories. I'm not even going to get into it. I'm just going to move on to Hannity. And Hannity started his show with rousing patriotic music playing over Trump's bullying attacks on Joe Biden. And when it got to Hannity himself, he called Biden weak, frail, confused. Biden got steamrolled by Trump. Lots of more Biden is old and senile attacks, saying that it was probably past his bedtime. And once again, like Fox News loves to do in these situations, they showed a montage of every single little um, uh, and word stumble. To be fair, there were a couple, but for the most part, Biden seemed to me to be very clear, very concise, very presidential, and definitely not senile, definitely not sleepy as the right has, has sort of portrayed him. But similarly, Hannity didn't say anything about Trump's constant interruptions of Biden and of the moderator. And when he had Trump Jr. on his show, Trump Jr.'s criticism of Joe Biden was that he couldn't get out of the way of the woke mob. And it's kind of funny that he says that because I thought the weakest part of the debate for Joe Biden by far was when he completely denounced the Green New Deal and said he didn't support it. Trump, when he said that, kind of jumped on it, was like, oh, you just lost the left. And, you know, I don't totally disagree with that assessment because the Green New Deal, while it is extreme by most centrist standards, is something that the majority of Democrats, especially on the far left where the base is, support. And so saying that he doesn't support it anymore is very dangerous. But I think both with the lead he has and the fact that he's trying to appeal more to centrists and more centrist Republicans in particular, I don't think it's really going to hurt him that much. But anyway, my favorite comment came when Geraldo Rivera came on and he said that Trump was going to try to eat Joe Biden. <laughs> I'm not sure what he was trying to say with that. I'm not sure if he was just going full Mike Tyson. I'm going to eat his children. Anyway, it was just more of the same with Hannity. And then when Laura Ingram came on after Hannity, her monologue basically stated that she advocated for debates without moderators because the moderator kept interrupting Trump and keeping him from finishing his thoughts. And because she thought that if there were no moderators, 
Trump would never lose a debate. And in that respect, I think she's absolutely right. Because at first, anyway, a lot of people thought Trump won the debate specifically because he kept talking over everybody because he didn't let Biden or the moderator really get a word in edgewise. But rather than talk more about how the bubble reacted, because it's pretty obvious how they did, I'm going to give my personal analysis on how the debate went to end this segment. So I sort of judge debates not from just one perspective of who won or who lost, but an overall sort of multiple facets and really sort of trying to get into the meat and potatoes of what happened in the debate rather than just saying facetiously like, oh, well, Biden won or Trump won. So if we're talking just about pure substance, about what each candidate said, Biden won hands down. Because Trump didn't really have any substance other than just to endlessly interrupt and attack Joe Biden and the moderator. If we're talking about in terms of maturity and looking presidential, again, Biden won hands down. Because Trump, as I said, just looked like a bully, looked like a 12-year-old kid trying to say, la, 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 I can't hear you. If we're talking about sound bites and visibility, basically making yourself seen and heard on the debate stage, Trump won. But only because he talked so much. Trump only won that part of the debate because he wouldn't stop talking. Because he wouldn't shut up, man. And he knew that if Biden got words in, he would actually talk about policy and probably people wanted to hear that in the debate. So he wanted to make sure that they didn't. That was his whole strategy, to just talk over everything so much that nothing else mattered. And in that respect, he did win. What people are talking about is not so much what was said in the debate as the character of it. So in that respect, he definitely succeeded. But, and this is a big but, Biden by far had the better sound bites of the two. In addition to will you shut up, man, we had... Why don't you inject some bleach into your arm? And of course, his impassioned and emotional defense of his son, where he said, my son is not a loser, my son is not a sucker. So Trump won in that aspect, but Biden had the sound bites that people are going to remember, which I guess could make him the winner of it in the long run. If we're talking as far as head-to-head conversations, because there was a lot of that, Trump had the slight edge, I would say, but only because he simply wouldn't let things go. When Biden contradicted him on something, Trump would basically just shout over the moderator when he tried to let him finish and say, but you can't let him say that. I have to say this. And over and over, I honestly didn't even know what he was trying to say half the time because he was so busy trying to interrupt Joe. But if we're talking about overall who I thought won, The answer is nobody. To quote Dana Bash after the debate aired, it was a shit show. It was a complete embarrassment for American democracy. It was a complete embarrassment for anyone saying that our political discourse is still civilized. It was just proof without any doubt whatsoever that our political system is completely screwed up right now. And... I don't know what else I can say about it. If I had to say who looked better, I would say Biden, because he managed to convince people that he wasn't senile and usually took the high road when Trump tried to insult him. He looked presidential and prepared, while Trump looked like a flailing, bumbling idiot. But that doesn't change the fact that that's not what people are going to be talking about with this debate. They're going to be talking about how uncivil it was. They're going to be talking about how confusing and loud and unpresidential, for lack of a better term, it was. It's going to go down in history as one of the saddest and lowest points in our political discourse in the history of America. And because of that, as much as I would like to say that Biden won the debate, which the majority of America think he did, there really are no winners here. And if you feel depressed about that whole ordeal, you aren't alone. But let's try and change that, shall we? Let's go ahead and move on to the weirdest thing that I saw this week. So this week's award goes to Prager University. And that's right. 
Dennis Breger, the conservative longtime talk show host on the radio, now has his own university, quote unquote. So I didn't even realize that Prager University existed until I was watching Fox News last week and I saw a commercial for it. It was basically four young, diverse people saying, four years ago, I wasn't proud to be an American. I was afraid for the color of my skin, but then I found Prager University and they taught me that it's the left that's causing all these problems. They taught me to be myself and not care what the media says. And just very much focused on reaching young people and trying to lure them into the conservative bubble with binge-watching five-minute videos. And they even say it that way in the ad. It's like, once I went on Prager University and started binge-watching five-minute videos, I understood what was really happening. It's almost as if the script for the ad was written by someone who was trying really hard to appeal to young people but didn't quite know how to do it well. But anyway, I got so curious about this that I decided to visit Prager University myself. And it was pretty much everything that the ad said. It was just a bunch of videos designed specifically for young people to try and draw them into the conservative bubble. And it's not just with politics either. It's about personal freedom and ideology and basically sort of trying to convince young people that they're not the problem and other people are. And that the way they've been doing things is all wrong and you should change who you are as a person. And nowhere is this more evident than in one of these five-minute binge-watch videos that I saw entitled, Don't Follow Your Passion. In this five-minute video, former host of Dirty Jobs, Mike Rowe, basically tells you that whatever you're passionate about, you probably suck at it and shouldn't do it. And since I wasn't able to actually download the video to show to you guys, I'm just going to go ahead and paraphrase what I got from it for you. He basically says, what we see with all these Hollywood actors and telling people the way they got successful is by never giving up on their dreams, you shouldn't do that. Because if you're passionate about something, it doesn't mean you don't suck at it. And if you suck at it, you shouldn't follow it because it's just going to disappoint you. Instead, you should look for a cushy 9-to-5 job and find meaning in the fact that you're doing something. If you follow opportunity rather than your passion, you're going to be much more prosperous as a result. Basically, A, equating happiness with financial success, and B, saying that whatever you want to do doesn't matter because you suck at it. <laughs> Instead, you should just be happy with whatever job you end up getting because and I quote directly from the video, your happiness on the job has very little to do with the work itself. Now, I can tell you, having worked some really crappy jobs in my life, this notion is completely false. You can't just magically find meaning and happiness and purpose in any job that you do, no matter how crappy it is. Because not everyone is like you, Micro. Not everyone enjoys doing those jobs that nobody else does. You found meaning in doing that. That's great. That doesn't mean that everybody else is going to find meaning in that too. And there are other videos on this website. There's a ton of them. Some are borderline misogynist, basically saying that toxic masculinity is not a bad thing and we need more masculinity to offset it and just all sorts of different things on Prager University that reinforce this viewpoint of get in our bubble, think like we think, do like we do left bad, left bad left bad so if you can stomach it you can go ahead and take a look at Prager University but I wouldn't recommend it because you'll probably just go insane within the first couple of minutes of watching any of these five-minute videos that they claim have changed the minds of hundreds of thousands of people to come to the right. So congratulations, Prager University. Your video 
telling people not to follow their dreams because they suck at it was the weirdest thing that I saw this week. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this edition of the Undercover Bubble Podcast. I'd like to thank you very much for listening, and I'll leave you this week with a reminder to get out there and vote. I got my mail-in ballot in the mail this week. I've already filled it out, and I'm going to send it back later this week. And actually, I'm not going to send it back. I'm going to be driving it to the government center in my county and dropping it off there. And I would highly recommend that anyone who has a mail-in ballot does the same thing to make absolutely sure that your ballot will be counted and that there won't be any fraud related to you. So there will be no excuse for Trump to say, there was ballot fraud, but I dropped my ballot off at the government center way before the election. So if you can do it, do do it. Thanks for listening, folks. Happy birthday to me, and I will see you all next week. Have a good one.